I do that our words do matter. And as a society, we may try to downplay that at times. We may try to tell ourselves, we may try to tell our children that words don't matter. We may come up with little catchy phrases like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or we may come up with some sort of phrase, like maybe you've used this one in, when you were in kindergarten, I'm rubber and you're glue, and whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. And we wish that that was true. And the reality is that words do matter. And the book of Proverbs comes along to our hunch that words are very, very significant. And the book of Proverbs agrees with us. Look at what we read in Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The book of Proverbs talks about an awful lot of things, and it gives a lot of importance to a lot of different subjects, but that's a pretty weighty verse. Death and life in the power of the tongue. Our working definition of wisdom, we've talked about this every week in this series, is as follows. This is in your notes. Wisdom is fearing God. Wisdom is knowing God's will. And wisdom is living in light of God's will. Fearing God, knowing his will, and living in light of his will. And our desire this morning, our aim this morning, is to take that definition and to say, how does this definition apply to us when we begin to think about words? Words that we speak, words that come out of our mouths, and words that we hear from other people. We're going to try to look at it from both perspectives. Now, some weeks in this series, we've had one passage and we've plowed through a particular passage. This morning, we're going to look at lots of different verses. So let's just take a minute. Let's pray together and let's ask that God would give us wisdom as we think about words. Father, we come to you this morning seeking you, seeking to know you better, seeking to acknowledge you for who you are. Father, help us this morning to fear you in an appropriate way. Father, we pray that you would give us understanding about your will for our lives as we think about the words that we speak and as we think about the words that we hear. Father, give us understanding, not just in the book of Proverbs, but in the scriptures to see why words are so important, why they're so powerful. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to begin by words that we speak. What does the book of Proverbs has to have to say about words that we speak? We're just going to scratch the surface. We can't cover everything Proverbs says, but there's three things I don't want you to miss. Number one, wise people avoid gossip. Wise people avoid gossip. Look at Proverbs 26.20, either in your Bible or I'll put it up on the screen. The verse says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Where no one is talking secretly, quietly, gossiping, there is no fighting. I stopped this week and I just sort of reflected on my time as a pastor. I've been a pastor for about 12 years and I just jotted down a few things that I have learned thinking about this verse in real life situations in the church's That I pastored. So let me just share some of these things with you. Thinking about gossip. Number one, if you need to preface a sentence with the words, I'm not trying to gossip, what you're about to say is gossip. And you probably don't need to say it. Secondly, 
the people who have talked to me about how much they hate gossip, and they've talked the most and the loudest, not always, but almost always have a problem with gossip themselves. Another thought, the people who will come to you and talk to you about other people will most certainly, without fail, go to other people and talk about you every time. Another thought, you don't have to know that you have a problem with gossip to have a problem with gossip. You don't have to recognize what you're doing as gossip for it to actually be gossip. And one last thought, regardless of your intentions, regardless of what you set out to do or did not set out to do, gossip will destroy relationships within a family, within a marriage, within a church, within a Sunday school class, within the group of people you work with. It will destroy relationships. Book of Proverbs says this, wise people avoid gossip. And if you want to fight, just applying this to a local church level, if you want to fight for unity in our church, here's where you start. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. If you want to be part of a church that doesn't have quarreling, there can't be any whispering. There can't be any gossip. If you do it, if I do it, we're fueling the fire. And you're guaranteed to have division and fighting and problems. So wise people avoid gossip. Number two, wise people avoid lying. Lying. I want you to look at Proverbs 6, 16, 17, 18, 19. We looked at this verse last week or this passage. It says, there's six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. And that's where we stopped last week. We were talking about pride. And we said right there, Out of the gate, the first thing on the list, this is something that the Lord hates. It's an abomination to him, haughty eyes, which we identified as pride. But it goes on. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now listen, I told you last week that the stuff about six and seven, it's not a typo, it's not a mistake, it's not the author trying to decide, is it really six or is it seven, or there's six bad ones and then the seventh is really worse. It's just a Hebrew way of expressing, I'm about to give you a list of things that God hates. And it's fascinating to me that as he writes down that list, inspired by the Holy Spirit, pride is at the head of it, but lying is on it twice. Twice to say God hates it. He hates it. He hates a lying tongue and he hates a false witness who breathes out lies. Number three, wise people use words with restraint. Restraint. This may surprise you, but this is one of the dominant themes in Proverbs when you're thinking about words, especially words that we speak. You can mark this down. You can take it to the bank. This is biblical in Proverbs. It goes all the way through the New Testament. Wise people are quick to listen, and they are slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And so we'll put a few verses up on the screen. Proverbs ten nineteen. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Why? 
Because the more you talk, the more likely it is that gossip's going to come out of your mouth. The more likely it is that something untrue is going to come out of your mouth. The more likely it is that something arrogant or boastful is going to come out of your mouth. Where words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent or is wise. Look at the next one. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I think it was Mark Twain. I tried to track the quote down, and I found it attributed to several different people, but Twain said something like, it's better for people to think you're a fool than for you to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Okay? Proverbs is giving you the flip side of that assuming you can keep your mouth closed. This, I'll be honest with you, this verse gives me great hope. I don't have to be the wisest person in the world. If I just keep my mouth shut, I might fool you. Look at the last verse, 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Have you ever known people that have to chime in on everything? They always have to come back with one more statement, one more story, one more point, one more thought. They always have to get the last word. They say things like, well, you know, I just, I just, I just speak what's on my mind. I just I call them like I see them. Well, I just, sometimes I'm just brutally honest, okay? If that's you, the book of Proverbs has a, a word for it. You're a fool. If you're the person that always has to open your mouth and give full vent to your spirit, if it's on your heart, it has to come out of your mouth, the book of Proverbs says that person is a fool. And the wise person has the ability to not say everything that pops into their head or runs across their heart. So speaking words. We're not going to gossip. We're not going to lie. We're going to use words with restraint. Now let's think about listening. And before we look at Proverbs, let me share with you an old fable. It's a fable of a father and a son and their donkey. And I'll put a few pictures on the screen. I know they're a little bit small. Some of you have maybe heard this story. The story goes like this. There was a father and a son. They had a donkey. They needed to go to the market. So they set off together. The father was walking. The son was walking. They were walking beside the donkey. They made it down the road. Somebody passed them on the road and said, you guys are a couple of fools. Why would you walk all the way to town if you could ride on your donkey? And they looked at each other and they said, well, that's a good question. Let's ride. So they got on the donkey and they kept going down the road. They made it just a little ways down the road when they passed a farmer. And the farmer looked at him and said, you guys are a couple of idiots. You're going to kill that donkey. You're way too heavy. Two, Two of you cannot ride on that animal. And they said, well, yeah, he may be right. It's a long ways to market. And so the decision was that the father would get off and the son would ride. And they made a little ways down the road, and they passed a group of men, older men. And they looked at this situation, and they said, huh, look at this. Old man walking, young, strapping young lad riding on the animal. And they just chipped in. They were the kind of guys that couldn't keep their thoughts to themselves. They gave full vent to their spirit, and they said, this is pathetic. Young boy, healthy and strong, riding, making the old man walk. And the father and son exchanged a glance, and they said, yeah, you know, this, let's switch. So they switched. They go on down the road. They pass a group of women. And the women look at the situation, and they say, this is child abuse. Making that young boy walk while you ride. You're a grown-up. You should walk. Let the child 
ride. And so they looked at each other. They didn't know what else to do, so they hog-tied the donkey, put a pole between his legs, took off down the road. And the fable says if right before you got to the, to the market, you had to pass or cross over a river, and there was a bridge. And as they were walking over the bridge, river beneath them, the donkey wiggled free, fell down to the bottom, and drowned. And the moral of the fable is twofold. Number one, don't try to hog tie a donkey. Number two, if you listen to everyone, you'll please no one. You've got to be very, very careful who you listen to. And if you and I try to listen to everyone and make everyone happy, you're going to end up pleasing no one. Now, that's real-world practical wisdom. I would su- suggest it to you and commend it to you. But let me tell you that the book of Proverbs presents things a little bit differently. And the book of Proverbs says, if you listen to no one, you're a fool. If you think that there are not people in your life who you ought to be listening to, you're the fool. And so let's think for a minute about how we listen. Number one, wise people listen to the advice of wise people. That sounds a little bit redundant, or it sounds like something's off in that statement, right? From a secular perspective, from a human perspective, you just want to read the first part and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I'm wise, I I have the answers, right? I mean, if I'm wise, I don't need to listen to anybody. I know what to do. I'm the one that should be giving the advice. But the book of Proverbs does not present us with worldly wisdom. And the book of Proverbs says, if you want to be wise, it doesn't mean you have it all figured out and you have all the answers. What it means is that you listen to wise people. Three verses will roll through these. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. And because he's a fool and he thinks his way is right, he doesn't listen to anybody else. Proverbs 13.10, by insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Can you take advice from other people or do you think you've got it all figured out? Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Listen, the key to this part of listening to words is that you are taking advice from wise people. What does that mean? Does that mean you take advice from people who have succeeded in business? Does that mean you take advice from people who are well thought of in the community? Does that mean you take advice from somebody that you just always looked up to? In a biblical sense, it means you take advice from people who fear God. That's the ground level place to begin. The people that I'm listening to for advice, do they fear God, yes or no? If they don't, they have nothing to say that will benefit you. I'm going to take advice from people who fear God. Secondly, I'm going to take advice from people who know God's will. That doesn't mean that these are people that are going to step into your life and say, you need to go to this school or you need to take that job or you need to name your child this or that. That means I am going to take advice from people who know the word, who read it, who study it, who meditate on it, who memorize it, who've given their lives to obeying it. They fear God. They know his will. And this is the kicker. I'm going to take advice from people who are actually doing it. I don't care how many Bible answers you can give me. If you're not actually living it out, the Bible says you're a fool. And I want nothing to do with your so-called wisdom. So the wise person takes advice from wise people, people who fear God, people who know his will, 
and people who actually live in light of his will. Secondly, wise people listen to the rebuke of wise people. This one's tough. Advice is one thing. Advice, you sort of get to go on your own to somebody that you think is wise and say, hey, I need a little bit of input here. But rebuke is usually not solicited by me or you. Rebuke usually comes from people who love us, who are concerned about us, who see an area of sin in our lives that we may or may not see, and they come to us to say, hey, this is something you need to deal with. And all of us, every last one of us, when a rebuke comes, our tendency, natural in our hearts because we're proud and we're arrogant and we just don't want to be rebuked, is to bow up against that and to start casting stones at this other person to say, who are you to talk to me? I know what your life is like, but the book of Proverbs says wise people listen to the rebuke of wise people. This is a big theme in Proverbs. I'll put several scriptures up. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates reproof is stupid. That's so counter to the way that we think. If you hate reproof, you're actually stupid. A, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Two more. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. One more, Proverbs 29.1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Over and over and over, the book of Proverbs says it. We didn't even look at all the ones I listed, and I didn't even list all the ones that you'll find in the book of Proverbs. Repeatedly. The wise person receives a rebuke and listens to it. The fool bows up against it and refuses to give it any attention. One last thought about listening. Wise people listen to the commands of God. They listen to the commands of God. Proverbs 13, 13 says this. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Wise people listen to God's commands. Now listen, and really, really listen. In the Bible, this idea of listening is far more than your ears work and your eardrums are functioning and there's sound waves passing through the air and they bounce off your eardrums and it hits the thing and the signal goes through your brain to wherever it goes and you process it and you cognitively understand it. The Bible, when it talks about listening, it's more than just that physical, chemical process that happens in your head. When the Bible talks about listening, it always includes the idea of obeying or acting. And I'll give you an illustration of how important this is in life. 1976, a group of terrorists stormed an airport in Uganda. And they targeted this airport at this particular time because they knew there was a group of Jewish tourists in this airport at that time. There was 103 Jewish tourists in this airport in Uganda, and the terrorists storm it, and they take it over. Now, this is 1976. The Israeli government was not at all interested in playing around. So they immediately sent their best, their most elite commando soldiers, whoever it was, they sent them down there. And when they got there, it took 15 minutes 
to storm the compound, to kill every last terrorist, and to set the Jewish hostages free. Fifteen minutes. This is how they did it. They got ready to storm the building, and they said, look, these Jewish hostages speak Hebrew, and we're pretty sure the terrorists don't. So when we bust open the doors and everybody's there, we're going to yell, get down on the floor, and we're going to say it in Hebrew. And all the people who speak Hebrew are going to get down on the floor, and everybody who stands up is going to get a bullet in the head. They did it. They busted down the doors. There's the hostages. There's the terrorist. In Hebrew, however you say it, they said it. Hit the deck. They hit the deck. They just mowed them down. Mission accomplished. All of the hostages set free except three. Three out of a hundred. Those three heard it. They heard the words, get down. They spoke Hebrew. They weren't deaf. They heard it. It processed through their brain. There was some cognitive understanding, but they didn't act on it. And they got mowed down with the terrorists. I hope you realize there's a great danger when you come to church. You put yourself in great danger danger. And the danger is not that terrorists are going to come and storm the building. It's not that kind of danger. It's the danger that you sit in these seats and that I come myself and that we listen to the word of God. We hear it. We think about it. We talk about it. And then we walk out the door and we don't do anything about it. We hear it, but we don't really listen to it. My prayer for you this morning is you think about what Proverbs says about how you speak words and how you hear words. It's not just that there's cognitive understanding in your brain and the eardrums working and the signals going to where it needs to go and you fill the blanks in and you get it all right. But my hope is that you hear it and you actually listen to it, that you hear the commands of God and you actually put it into practice in your life. One last question that I want to end with, and it's this question. Why are words so powerful? We started off with Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Why is that one issue so important in Proverbs? And we'll end with several thoughts. Words were used in creation. Words were used in creation. We understand that in the beginning, when the all-powerful, omnipotent God decided to create, he could have done it in any way that he saw fit. He was not bound to do it the way that he did it in the Scriptures. It could have been a snap of his fingers. It could have just been a thought in his mind. But what the Bible describes is God using words to create everything that exists. Look what we read in Genesis 1-3. God said. He spoke. Let there be light, and there was light. And it repeats all the way through the creation story. The same idea repeated when you get to the Gospel of John, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning God, and everything that was created, everything that was made was made through the Word. God, in all the ways that He could have created, dignified words by using words to create everything that exists. So it shouldn't surprise you Secondly, that words were used in temptation. God gives great dignity to words, and here comes the serpent, the devil, who is aping and trying to parody everything that God does, and he uses words in temptation. Genesis 3, verse 1 says this. I think we can put it on the screen. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... 
Yes, he uses the desires of her eyes and the desires of her heart, but he's speaking to her. He's using words. And the question is, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He uses words in temptation, and the first temptation is in itself an attempt to get Adam and Eve to question and to doubt God's word. You see the exact same thing when Jesus is tempted in the New Testament. Satan comes to him, and he's using words, and he's tempting him, and he's using God's words, twisted out of context, to bring temptation to Jesus. Listen, in your life, you will face all kinds of temptation, all kinds. It will be unrelenting until the day that you die. It will never let up. It will never stop. And at the root of all of it is this question, did God really say Can you really believe it? Is it all really true? Are you sure you believe this? Are you sure you're going to base your life on an old, ancient, dusty book? Are you sure that God said it? Or is there doubt? And is there question? Words used in creation, words used in temptation. Number three, words are necessary for salvation. Necessary for salvation. You see it right in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve sinned. God gives them a promise. He opens his mouth and he speaks words and he says to them, Someday I'm going to send someone to crush the head of the serpent to fix what you and the serpent have ruined in my good creation. He gives them this promise and the promise is passed down all the way through the Old Testament. It finds its fulfillment in Jesus in the New Testament, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. God keeps the promise he made to Adam and Eve. And the good news of the gospel about Jesus is a message that we proclaim by opening our mouths and speaking words. Look what we read in Romans chapter 10. How are they to call on him, Paul says, whom they have not believed. Right before this, Paul said, look, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation, you will be saved. It's a certainty. Call on the name of Jesus and you'll find salvation. And then he backs up and he says, how can they call if they haven't believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And the verse goes on. It says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Conclusion, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If anyone is going to experience salvation, words are going to be involved. Somebody has to open their mouth and speak the gospel. Somebody has to open their mouth and share the gospel. And somebody's got to hear it, process it all, make sense of it, and not just hear it, but listen to it and act on it and call on the name of the Lord for salvation using words. And you may do that shouting at the top of your lungs from the highest hilltop. You may do it in the quietness of your heart where only God hears, but you've got to call on the name of the Lord for salvation. Some of you here this morning, this is where you need to stop in this discussion of words. Before you ever try to get control over your tongue or you ever try to figure out who you need to be listening to, you need to stop right here and you need to say, you know what? I need to listen to the gospel for the very first time. Not just hear it, but actually listen to it and do what it says. 
And what it says is not do a better job of controlling your tongue. And what it says is not do a better job of who you listen to. What it says is you've made a mess of all of it. And Jesus Christ came to fulfill the promise of God to die for people like you and me who have twisted and sinned in the way that we use words. And if you will call on the name of Jesus for salvation, there is life and there is hope and there is forgiveness. And some of you this morning need to stop right there and you need to say, you know what? Today, for the very first time, I need to call on the name of Jesus for salvation. I need to stop hearing only and I need to actually listen which means taking action on what God has called me to do. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. One last thought is this. Words are necessary for worship. Necessary for worship. We'll read a verse from the book of Revelation as we end. It says, The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. Words are how we worship. God created with words in the beginning. He gave this promise of salvation through words. We see it fulfilled in Jesus, and words are necessary for our salvation because we've blown it in temptation over and over and over again. And our response is not just to pray a prayer, not just to call out to Jesus and say, save me, but to give our lives to him in worship. So this morning, I want you to bow, and I want us to take just a moment here at the end for reflection, for meditation, for possibly repentance as we think about our words. I want you to think about the power of words. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I want you to think about whether or not this morning you will listen Truly listen, not just hear, but listen to the book of Proverbs. Listen to the word of God as it speaks to you about the way you talk and the way you listen to others. I want you to think this morning about whether you will confess your sin and whether you will call out to Jesus for life and salvation. And I want you to think about whether or not you will use words to respond to God in worship and praise, giving him glory and honor. Father, as we think about what we've seen in the book of Proverbs, we recognize how far short we have fallen Father, we think about Isaiah 
and his experience of you in the temple and we agree with him. We add our confession to his. We are people of sinful, unclean lips. Father, the way that we have used words, the way that we have listened or not listened to others, Father, has been, has been wrong, has been wicked, has been selfish. Father, our prayer this morning is that your word would be living and active, that it would change us, that your spirit would come and give us life. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear as we read in the Gospels. Father, we pray that as we end, that there would be people in this room who call out to Jesus for salvation. Father, we pray that we would be people as a church family who use our words to worship you and to acknowledge you in all your glory and all your grace and all your beauty. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.